That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walk on over to Walters as the XFL has returned to D.C. at nearby Audi Field. Next home game is Sunday, March 12th. This Nat season, make sure to add Walters to your pre- and post-game routine just across the street from the ballpark. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Out of set, Garcia peers in, the 2-2. Smith, a hard ground ball, base hit right field. Call rounding 30s being waved in. Tucker's throw toward the plate is going to be cut off by Jose Abreu. And the Nationals are on the board. Call crosses the plate, RBI single for Dom Smith. Nationals 1, Astros nothing. Smith has RBI number 3 on his second hit of the ball game. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, March 6th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We now are inside of a month until the Nats regular season opener, home to the Atlanta Braves, Thursday, March 30th at 1.05 p.m. Coming up on the show, a setback for Carter Keyboom, a spring training game in which both Josiah Gray and Cade Cavalli pitched, an appearance in a spring training game by James Wood, and talk out west of the San Diego Padres signing Juan Soto. Yes, that Juan Soto to a long-term contract prior to him hitting free agency. We were told that Soto would never do that. Is he on the verge of doing that? Good to have you with us in yet another one of our Monday installments of the podcast as we ramp up for the regular season. Now, Mark has been uh, spending some time back home in Virginia before heading down back to Nats camp in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you dealing with any arm fatigue yet, or are you, in fact, at 100% thus far in this spring training season? Well, the arm is good out. We don't have the dead arm period. I do, however, have a bit of a throat issue here. Since I got home, maybe going from 85 degrees to the wacky weather we've had here has allowed me to come down with a cold for the first time in forever, I think it is. So uh, apologies if I don't sound right. Hopefully, I'm all better by Thursday when I go back to Florida because that's really the ramp-up period, the final two and a half weeks to get ready for opening day. So, you know, it's still early. We're not going to rule out opening day, anything like that yet. But if it had to happen, better now than at the end of the camp. Well, I wonder, would they put you on the 10-day injured list, the 15-day injured list, the 60-day? Like, how would that work exactly? Oh, oh, I'm 60-day for sure. When I get it, I get it bad, yeah. Well, it's great to have everyone with us. We have a couple of things we want to make note of here before we truly get going in this installment of the podcast. NatsChatPodcast.Square.Site. That's where you've been able to get all of the great Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts. And we have something special going on right now. The classic blue Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt is available for pre-sale 
at natschatpodcast.square.site. So we're going old school. We're going retro Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt to get things going in this 2023 season. So again, the website, natschatpodcast.square.site. Always know that you can email the podcast as well, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And we this season are accepting sponsors for individual shows. And so if you are interested in being a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, and we would love to have you on board, contact the mastermind of this enterprise, the great Tim Shovers, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. And you may have noticed a new intro song for this podcast. Our friend Tim Newmark, who had composed a new intro theme, now has composed a new, new intro theme for the Nats Chat Podcast. So thanks a lot to Tim for his work and uh, for his support of the Nats Chat Podcast. All right, so you mentioned it. You know, we're starting to get into like the dog days of Nats camp. When should we anticipate cuts of significance beginning to happen for the Nats? Funny, I was wondering that the other day because I think I saw another team start to make their first cuts. And this is about the time you would uh, think that there's an off day on Monday coming up. And you do wonder if that makes for an opportune moment if they wanted to start doing some things. Now, some years you would say maybe they hold off because they need all these guys. If you're losing a bunch of players to the World Baseball Classic, but they aren't, they're only losing a few, although they added a new one, just came out. Jamer Candelario is actually replacing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on the Dominican team and probably means he's going to play first base. So that could be a little bit of a twist here for a guy who we thought was going to be third base for the Nats every day in camp. And now he's going to be gone potentially all the way to the end with the Dominican Republic, that powerhouse team playing first base. So I'll be interested to see the domino effect of all that. But, you know, they don't have that many guys leaving camp. I think what we're probably going to be looking at here is if there are pitchers in particular, starting pitchers, young guys who need the work, who need to get stretched out, you'll see them get sent down sooner than others because there just aren't going to be enough innings left. As you get the regulars starting to throw three, four, ultimately five innings a start, you just don't have the innings for everyone else. So I could see them making some moves with pitchers here soon. Maybe not a ton of them here at the get-go, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few days we start seeing the first round of cuts. Do you think it's safe to say that the Nats are not thrilled with Condelario playing for the Dominican Republic? Um, no, I think they... All along, they've maintained that they don't want to deny these guys the opportunity. If they're healthy and they want to go do this, then they, they absolutely support it. And I think, at least in Candelario's case, if he is going to be playing every day for them, the Nats are okay with that. That's getting consistent at bats. You know, you'd prefer third base to first base, but so be it. I think the fear would be somebody who's just going to sit on the bench and not get the work they need, and especially for a pitcher who was not getting the amount of work that they needed. They would have supported Paolo Espino if he chose to go. Paolo decided not to go just because Pamela was playing all the way over in Taiwan. He thought it was just too far to go at this stage of the spring. So I think they're okay with it, provided, like I said, that he's healthy and that he is getting consistent at bats. I think they'll be all right with it. But, you know, sure, deep down, selfishly, you'd rather have a guy in your camp, in your control, playing the position you want, you know, as opposed to somewhere else where, you know, God knows what could happen in a very high energy, high stakes tournament like this is going to be. Yeah, I think it's always been tricky for these major league teams with this World Baseball Classic because, yes, you want to promote the sport and the WBC, I think, actually has become a pretty cool thing. But, geez, I mean, especially if you are a contending team and you have, you know, high profile, big money players, you want them under your control, under your thumb. You don't want them playing for somebody else. 
when who knows what could end up happening. The NHL has said the same thing with guys playing in the Olympics. So, you know, I think it's a tough balancing act. And I guess you could say, hey, the Nats are rebuilding team, so what? But, you know, whatever. Like, Candelario is their player. They have designs on him being an everyday player. He's a guy who has shown that he can play well. You know, you'd like to have him for the duration of camp. So I could see the Nats not being thrilled with this, and, and I would understand where they're coming from. I love this tournament. I love the idea of the tournament. And everybody who ever goes to it says they love it. They think it's a great opportunity. Every, nobody ever regrets going to it. I just don't love the timing. And I've spent years since this thing was started trying to think in my mind, is there a better way to do it, a better time? I want to believe that it would be possible to have an extended all-star break, kind of like hockey did with the Olympics when they were actually, you know, NHL players were going to it. And you have a two-week break in July, play the tournament then, you'd have all the guys are in mid-season form, pitchers are stretched out. That to me makes the best competition. But I have thrown this out to a lot of people around the sport, players and otherwise, and they all have the same response. Never going to happen. For one thing, the guys who stay back do not want to be sitting for two weeks, not playing. They think it's too hard to ramp up again from that. And secondly, what that does to the season, either owners have to agree to drop games from the schedule. We know how they feel about that. Or you have to extend the season you know, into November by the time the World Series is done. So everybody agrees there's just no better time to do it. It's unfortunate because the spread of talent around the country is such that it can be a great tournament with all these top nations competing in it. There's just no good time to hold it. No. And, you know, again, if you're a contending team, you want to send away some of your best players in the middle of the season for some tournament that doesn't impact the regular season major league standings. I mean, that would be a big ask of teams. I mean, imagine the Nats back when they were good. You start sending Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg to pitch for the USA in the World Baseball Classic. Like, nobody wants to do that. To say nothing of, you know, you send someone with an injury history to go pitch in the WBC and the guy ends up getting hurt and now you're without him, you know, for the final few months of the season. So, it is tricky. Well, it's funny how these things play out. Candelario is going to be at the WBC, the guy who you would say, okay, might benefit from his absence from Nats camp, Carter Keeboom. He now is out for at least a bit, maybe longer. So Carter Keeboom, yeah, remember him. He's recovering from Tommy John surgery. He has suffered a setback in his recovery. Now, the good news is that the setback has more to do with his shoulder than his elbow, but the bad news is that his work is being slowed down and what exactly that's going to end up meaning in terms of his participation for the rest of this exhibition season and for the rest of Nats camp is hard to say. So Carter Keeboom is going into what would be his age 25 season. I think most of you listening know the deal by now. And that's took Keeboom, number 28 overall pick in the 2016 MLB draft. And he has struggled at the major league level big time. I mean, you know, there are degrees of struggles for first round picks. We certainly have become familiar with all of this with the Nats in recent years. It's one thing to make it to the majors, play at the majors, but just not end up being that good. Eric Fetty would be an example of that. Carter Keeboom has had a hard time playing at the major league level, period. There is very little major league mileage on his body off these last few seasons due to injury and ineffectiveness. And so, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to go too crazy with this news. On the other hand, it's certainly not good news for Carter Keeboom. Well, and the problem here is Tommy John surgery, while it does happen to position players, it's, it's fairly rare. When it does, in theory, the time frame for recovery is supposed to be much faster than it is for pitchers. You even had players who had it like in spring and came back by the end of a season that year. It could be four or five months for some of them. So the fact that we are now a full year out from it and he's still dealing with issues, and, and let's keep this in mind, he had DH'd, but he has not actually played in the field in a game. He's been doing defensive drills with the team, but not all of them in particular 
focusing on his throws, trying to prevent him from throwing too much. Well, if you're dealing with a shoulder issue, that tells me your arm is not ready to throw. Maybe the elbow is fine, but the ramp up and trying to throw is causing you more issues for your shoulder. So while I don't believe he was really in the mix for an opening day roster spot, they signed Candelario to be their third baseman. They weren't going to put Kibum on the bench, I don't think. The idea would be either he starts the year in the IL or he goes to AAA and plays every day at third base. The idea is you start running out of time. (laughs) Eventually, he does need to actually play somewhere. He needs to succeed somewhere. And then in theory, that could lead to significant playing time at the big league level. He can't even get to that point. So you don't want to write something off completely. But I, I will say that while he's still big league camp, all those other things, He really hasn't been first and foremost on my mind this spring because I get the sense he's not really first and foremost on the Nationals' mind. They would love for it to work out for him to get healthy and become a good player, but they've kind of already made their contingency plans, including Brady House moving from shortstop to third base long term. That's still several years off, but like this idea that Kibum is their third baseman of the future, no, no, it's not that anymore. It's, hey, maybe he gets healthy, maybe he can be a big leaguer again and we'll see what he can be but it's nowhere close. His stock in the organization is nothing like it used to be. Yeah. I mean, his major league career, I think, is in question at this point. You know, like at least with someone like a Victor Robles, I think his career as a starter for the Nats is on the line this season. But I think he'll have a major league career regardless of what happens with him this season. He could certainly be a fourth outfielder given his defense for years to come. I don't know if Carter Keeboom is going to be playing at the major league level beyond, I don't know, this season, next season, like his career at the major league level would appear to be in jeopardy because again, he just hasn't demonstrated much at the major league level. And what is so funny slash ironic about all of this is that he comes up to make his major league regular season debut in 2019. And I remember this clearly, it was a series against the Padres, a weekend series, and he homered in two of his first three games. In fact, he homered off an ex-nat Craig Stammen in game one of that series. And you said to yourself, wow, this guy is legit. We're hitting the ground running. Fastball drilled to center by Kibo. This is deep. Margot going back, way back to the warning track. He leaps. Can't get it. It's gone. It's gone. Goodbye. Carter Kibo's first major league hit is a home run to dead center field here at Nationals Park. And the truth is he basically peaked in his first series as a major league player in a regular season. And, you know, that's obviously not something you ever want to say about a prize prospect, that his best comes in his initial series, and then that's it. But that basically has been it. He looked great as a batter in that series. And then from that point forward, he had defensive struggles. He has had big time offensive struggles. He has a hard time getting healthy. I remember in the 2020 season, the Nats actually optioned him in the middle of the season to the alternate training site in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Like there has been a lot A lot of things that really make you wonder if he's cut out to be a major league player. And now, unfortunately, you know, his body's not cooperating with this setback in the recovery from Tommy John. Yeah, I think the disappointing thing is when you have a first round pick and like you said, burst onto the scene, at least in those first few games and had hit well at AAA. The thing with him was always, the book on him was always, he's going to hit at the major league level. It's just a question of what position is he going to play? Remember, he started as a shortstop. And when Trey Turner got hurt, they tried him there and it was a disaster. And that kind of started the ball rolling in the wrong direction. But since then, I hate to say it, but there are very few moments that I've seen Carter keep him on a baseball field and said to myself, ah, okay, there it is. There's that thing that made him a first round pick, made him a top prospect for whatever reason, whether that's physical, mental, you know, whatever that is. He just has not had that. It's not even like there's been 
a week where it all started to come together again, or a play he made in the field, or a particular bat that you're like, wow, okay, there's the talent. You mentioned Robles. As frustrating as he is, you can see those moments still where you say, okay, there, he has the talent. He has the ability. He just has not been able to harness it and do it consistently at the big league level. In Keyboom's case, outside of those first few games, we just have not seen that at all. And then you add the injuries on top of that. And so it really does, like you said, put him on the brink here where time is running out for him, not just with the Nationals, but perhaps, you know, his major league career. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Menezes' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Now the set of the 2-1 swing and a high fly ball to deep right center field. Way back, going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Big City with a big fly almost to the top of the berm in front of the scoreboard in right center field. And Matt Adams has hit his first home run of the spring. And gets the Nationals back to within a run. It's now the Cardinals 7 of the National 6. That was a no-doubter. Well, as uh, we motor along in National Spring Training and we have these exhibition games taking place, and, you know, as we all know, it is so tricky to try to figure out, okay, what do you take from these games? What do you ignore? I mean, exhibition games, really in all sports, these games are like houses of mirrors. You know, it's like you don't know if what you're looking at is a true reflection of reality or not. But, you know, all you can do is kind of do your best in trying to assess what's going down. So we are seeing Nats pitchers pitch for like an inning, two innings at a time. We had kind of an interesting thing the other day in what was a 9-6 loss uh, for the Nats to the St. Louis Cardinals. This was on March 4th. You had Josiah Gray pitching and then you had Cade Cavalli pitching. You don't normally get that. Two guys who were, you know, you figure are going to be in the Nats opening game rotation, although as we talked about in the last episode, you know, maybe not with Cade Cavalli, but I still think probably so. Josiah started the game and then Cavalli came on in relief. Josiah, two scoreless innings, did give up three hits. Cavalli, one run in two innings, gave up a homer, but he also had five strikeouts over those two innings. Do you know, and I guess it's probably different for everyone, but what exactly are Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo looking for from these starting pitchers, especially these young starters in these games? Is it more about process? Is it more about results? Is it more just about, hey, do you feel good coming out of the outing? What do you think is kind of like the post-game checklist for the Nats with these guys? I think it depends on the pitcher. Each guy's going to have a specific thing that they're probably looking at. Josiah Gray, it's those mechanics that we talked about they tried to fix. How's the fastball playing? Is he on a nice straight line to the plate and having some success with that? Not necessarily the results, but is he throwing strikes with it and throwing quality strikes? I think with Mackenzie Gore, it's really health and building the arm up after the injury last year. I think they know he's got the skills. It's just a matter of, okay, can we get him now? building up and not showing signs of fatigue and all that. In Kate Cavalli's case, I really do think it is about throwing strikes and about throwing quality strikes. We know the stuff is there. That's never been a question. The issue is that the command can be off. And when it's off, it can be pretty bad. He gave up a home run the other day, but the five strikeouts to me is a good sign. Now, I wasn't there, so I didn't see him. This was always the thing with Kate at AAA. The strikeout numbers are big. Are they coming on breaking balls that are way out of the zone that just have so much movement, they're fooling guys? Or are they coming on quality pitches that maybe start in the strike zone and, and dip away or come back into the strike zone? I think that's the big thing for him. He's got to show that he's not just going to win with stuff at the big league level. It's got to have some kind of command to it to get these hitters out. Now, the game I did see him pitch, he had a big strikeout on a called 3-2 fastball. That to me is a really good sign because not just a breaking ball, but if he can locate a fastball in that count and fool a hitter and get him on the corner, that's what they need from him. So 
I think so far they're pleased with what they've seen. You know, everybody has thrown as much as they need to. Cavalli is going to get a start now. That the schedule was a little weird where they were piggybacking each other. Cavalli's actually going to make his first start Thursday night against Team Israel in what should be a really wild matchup there in West Palm Beach. A lot of rabid fans, I'm sure, coming out for that one. I'll be back in town for that game. I don't know if we're going to be able to judge his performance all that much based on the team that he's facing, but he will get some starts against major league teams after that. Well, when Kate Cavalli faces the Israelis, you throw the records out the window. I mean, I think we all know that. We know how that can go. Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult with pitchers too, because especially with veterans, I guess not so much with the younger guys like Gore and Cavalli and Gray, but you don't know to what extent the veterans might be working on something. So a guy doesn't look so great, but maybe he was working on a new pitch, a new grip, a specific pitch sequence. You know, he's messing with his mechanics. So it's like, how much do you truly take away from what these guys are doing? And I guess it's as simple as, look, it's case by case. Like there isn't some blanket truth that you can apply to everyone. But I always try to remind myself of that, especially with pitchers in these exhibition games. You don't know what they might be doing, what they might be tinkering with. And so the saying of like, you got to take the results with a grain of salt. In this case, it's like with a pound of salt, you know, because it's just there's so many things that could be happening that we don't know about in terms of what these guys are trying to do in these exhibition games. So you don't want to read too much in the fact that Max Scherzer gave up eight runs to the Nats the other day? Or is that a sign? <laughs> I would love for that to mean something. My concern <laughs> would be is that means not much. But who knows? Who knows? I think the sign from that was that Max was trying to game the pitch clock. I don't know if you saw what he was doing. It was pretty wild. And I think he actually overthought it. We don't have to talk about the Mets. You know, We don't need to get into all that. But watching that, I got the sense this was classic Max Scherzer overthinking something and not just realizing, hey, I'm Max Scherzer. These are the Washington Nationals. I'm better than them. Just throw strikes. And I'm going to get them out as opposed to trying to game the pitch clock and, and fool with their timing. Look, he said it on this podcast a few years ago. He is not a fan of the pitch clock. We saw how he reacted to the sticky stuff checkup on the initial night of that a few years ago. So Max is not shy about letting his feelings be known. And yeah, the Nats got to him the other day. But again, <laughs> like, what do you take from that? I don't know. But it was cool to see. I'll say that. That was fun to see the Nats do that. By the way, speaking of uh, Nats batters, and again, you know, this doesn't mean a ton, I know, but James Wood got into an exhibition game for the Nats within the last week. So, you know, the Nats, of course, have this trifecta of stud outfield prospects and if you go by the rankings of MLB Pipeline, and you know there are all kinds of prospect rankings out there, but if you go by the MLB Pipeline rankings, James Wood is the best of that bunch. The Nats have four top 100 prospects per MLB Pipeline. James Wood is number 17. Robert Hassel III, another outfielder, is number 35. Elijah Green is number 46. Now, it would appear that Hassel is the closest to the majors, but even he you know, might be a season away, although I guess maybe late this season we could see him. Do you know, is Wood, in fact, viewed by the organization as the best of that bunch? I mean, again, if you go by the rankings, Wood is the best of that bunch. I think right now, based on the evidence that they have, yeah, he took some big steps last year, both before the trade when he was still with the Padres and then after when he joined the Nats and was, I believe, in Fredericksburg. To see him, you can see why people get so excited. This is a physical specimen at six foot seven, but he runs well. He can play center field, explosive bat. He looks like the complete package. Now, still very young, a long way to go. But watching him versus some of these other guys, you do kind of see why he might stand out, especially to a scout, why he might stand out. Now, when it's all said and done, I could see Elijah Green being thought the same way, kind of a similar thing, physical specimen, all kinds of ability, just really inexperienced. He was just drafted last year. So give him a full season in the minors to see how that develops. So I think these rankings could change over time. But 
there's definitely more buzz about Wood over the winter and this spring than anybody else in the organization, to the extent that some even believe that a good minor league season for Wood could put him into like a top 10 MLB prospect category. He's not that far right now. And I think we all know that how you look doesn't play that big of a role in what you are as a player. There are many examples of guys who don't look the part, but who are the part and vice versa. But man, it is hard to ignore 6'7", 240. I mean, man, you know, if you're building a player in the lab, you're building a stud batter in the lab. I mean, those are the kind of dimensions that you're coming up with. 6'7", 240 is a local. Uh, his initial high school was St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. And, you know, you can sort of arrange the prospects who the Nats got in the Juan Soto trade in a variety of ways. Like, is Mackenzie Gore the best of the bunch? Is James Wood the best of the bunch? Is Robert Hassel the best of the bunch. But I mean, clearly those are the three prize guys who the Nats got in that package. And, you know, Wood certainly has the tools to be the most special. You don't know. And, you know, you still kind of say to yourself, what's the likelihood that all three of these guys, Wood, Hassel, and Green, all pan out? But man, it is exciting to think about. Like, you know, as we get set for this Nats season, and again, we know the reality of the team at the major league level, but, you know, you have three top 100 prospects as outfielders like this. You know, you think about like what this could be, you know, the Marlins, right, when they had that great outfield that ended up doing well for other teams, not them, but, you know, with Yelich and Stanton and uh, Ozuna. And, you know, it's just like, wow, the Nats could potentially have something like that, maybe even better down the line. Who knows? Yeah. And like you said, they don't always all pan out. Now, they even have a couple others. Christian Vaquero was a top international signing last year. So he could be in the mix. Jeremy De La Rosa is in big league camp this spring, even though he's got a long way to go. So what they've done, at least in the outfield position is they've established enough quality depth there that you don't need every single one of them to pan out. You would love for it to happen. But if you know one of them is a superstar and another one's a really good player, like that's great. <laughs> You're in good shape if that happens. They still need to have that, especially on the pitching side, I think. They don't really have that in the organization. I will also say, I know why you mentioned those other guys being the best from the trade. I wouldn't ignore C.J. Abrams either. If he turns out to be a dynamic, everyday shortstop in the big leagues for a long time, that's a key piece. And I know he's not really prospect material anymore because he's been in the big leagues for a decent chunk of last season. And maybe he doesn't have the ceiling that a, an Elijah, uh, Elijah Wood, or, sorry, <laughs> Elijah Wood, that's Lord of the Rings, uh, James Wood or Elijah Green, he may not have the ceiling of that, but C.J. Abrams does have the ability to be an all-around shortstop. And I think we're going to learn a lot this year about just how high his ceiling could be, depending on how he does. Yeah. And that is one of the nice things about that trade is that you can make an argument for a multitude of guys. Look, Harleen Susana is the youngest and the rawest, but the guy throws a million miles an hour. Maybe he ends up being the best of the bunch. Like, you just don't know with what could end up being from that trade. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. You know I love my analytics. Well, here are some stats for you. 43% of your utility bill is heating cost. You can save up to 30% on your heating cost with new Window Nation windows. Energy costs are rising. In Washington, D.C., energy costs are up 25% as compared to where they were at last year. It's not too late to address your high energy costs by getting yourself some new Window Nation windows and take advantage of Window Nation's off-season prices. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay zero money down, make zero payments, and get 0% financing for 24 months. That's two years 
pay nothing. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Are your current windows leaking? Hey, that can cause serious structural damage to your home and can cause mold to grow. Leaky windows can allow mold to grow inside your home completely unnoticed. Get yourself some new Window Nation windows. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. And tell Window Nation that you want what you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus zero money down, zero payments, and 0% financing for 24 months. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We really like the five prospects that we got. They're all high upside, high character, high quality guys that we have scouted for a long time, had a lot of history, had a lot of history with. And we were fortunate that it was a well-rounded trade. We've got two pitchers, two outfielders, and, and a shortstop, which fit our, our needs perfectly. I did want to make mention of this. So the San Diego Padres continue to spend money at an absurd rate. The latest example of this, this 11-year $350 million extension for Manny Machado, who was uh, eligible to opt out of his mega money deal with the Padres uh, come this offseason. And instead, the Padres were able to work out an extension with Machado. We had this report from MLB insider John Heyman of the New York Post. John Heyman is known to be a guy who is tight with uh, Scott Boris, so keep that in mind. But Heyman does break stuff, and he wrote the following, quote, The Padres shocked baseball again with their $350 million 11-year deal for Manny Machado, and they aren't stopping there. Next up, deals or at least discussions for Juan Soto and Josh Hader, arguably the game's top hitter and top closer. New Padres Andrew Bogarts, following the Machado signing and his own for $280 million, told Soto, they've got to bring a bigger truck for you. Bogarts explained, just give it his age, 24, and his talent. I can't imagine the amount he will get. It's crazy, man. You can never count these guys out. They've done stuff that no one would have thought they'd ever do. The Padres are expected to reach out soon on both Soto and Hayter. We're open to talking. We're just waiting, Soto said in the Padres clubhouse, referring to himself and Boris. Speaking of Boris, he said this, it's very rare that a team can put together a group of players in their primes, in the primes of their careers or close to the prime, where there are four players at this level for the Padres. They've moved a mountain to San Diego and it's called Mount Crushmore, end quote. And uh, that's typical Scott Boris right there talking things up. Obviously, from a Nationals perspective, what like slaps you across the face is the notion of Juan Soto signing a mega money extension well before he reaches free agency when we were told over and over and over again that Juan Soto wasn't going to do that. And that was one of the reasons, maybe the biggest reason that the Nats traded Juan Soto last summer. Maybe all of this is just talk and Soto and Boris have zero true desire for Soto to sign a long-term extension prior to free agency. But what do you make of that, that the Padres are going to make an attempt to try to lock up Soto long-term? I would say good luck to the Padres. You know, go for it. Why not? Go for it. Make the kind of offer that in theory he can't refuse, the kind of offer the Nationals never got to. Let's be honest. Yes, they offered $450 million, but as we know, it wasn't maybe as overwhelming as that number sounded in the structure of it, the terms of it, and everything else. And you and I both said, like, before you get to that trade deadline, 
Do you want to just go for broke and make him that one take it or leave it? Like we're going to blow your socks off. Maybe he'll agree to it offer. So good luck to the Padres. Why not try for it? That said, I've never seen any indication that Juan Soto is going to sign before he becomes a free agent. Doesn't mean he can't go back to San Diego, but if you're him and you've made it this far and you've been betting on yourself and you've already turned down $450 million and you're on a team that while it's very exciting, still has not actually won anything yet. And you don't know how this is all going to play out. Like it's great to think, oh, hey, they got these superstars locked up forever. Well, as we see in most of these cases, there's always going to be a window of opportunity when these guys are in their prime and have a chance to win. And if they don't, you're saddled with a lot of money for a lot of time. Is Juan Soto right now in any position to lock himself into that with the possibility that it doesn't work out in the end? I don't frankly know why he would unless he's just getting antsy. And why would he be? He's made it this far. Why would he do that? I would think he at least wants to see how this season plays out for that team before considering it. And, you know, he's two years away. Why would you do that now when all the indications prior to this point were that you had no interest in doing it? I don't know. You know, I, you never say never. And maybe he goes to Scott Boris and says, hey, you know what? I dealt with this last year. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Sign me up. Let's do it. But if Scott Boris is calling the shots, there's no way he's signing before he hits free agency. I think if you're the Nats, you are hoping and praying to the baseball gods that he does not do this because that really is not going to look good when they were telling anyone who would listen that Soto isn't open to doing this. And if he ends up doing this with the Padres, it's going to make the Nats look bad. And it's going to reopen this wound of why did the Nats have to trade Juan Soto? Now, as we discussed, it may well be that that was the correct baseball move. The thing that always has kind of gnawed at me is if ever there is an exception to the rule of, hey, one guy as great as he is can only do so much for a major league team, Juan Soto might be the exception to that rule. And I still do come back to if the Nats farm system had been in better shape, would they have traded Juan Soto or might they have held on to him? You know, I feel like they kind of use that as a get out of jail free card to fix a farm system that they had allowed to dilapidate off years of bad drafting and bad player development. So yeah, I mean, I think whether it's Mike Rizzo or Mark Lerner or whoever, It's not going to be a good look if the Padres end up getting this deal done. Now, like you said, with the offers that the Nats made to Soto, every offer, and these offers were detailed very well by ESPN's Jeff Passan in a piece that came out last summer, every offer was basically a day late and a dollar short. What we still don't know is, did the Nats really feel like those were good offers or did they not truly want to sign Juan Soto to a long-term mega money contract? And as we have discussed, that might be the smart move. It might be prudent to never sign anyone to a contract over, say, you know, $150, $200 million. But if you really wanted to keep him, but you came to this conclusion of, eh, he doesn't want to sign with anyone. And then he goes to his next team and he ends up signing with that team. You know, <laughs> it's just not going to be a good look, man. It's just, you know, it's it, and it's going to, again, make people go back to, why did we trade this guy again? Like, what exactly was that about? So I'm interested to see what happens. I think the other thing, too, is this. I mean, the Padres are spending like crazy, whether you're talking about you know, Manny Machado or Xander Bogarts or you Darvish or, you know, on and on you can go with this team. Fernando Tatis, how come a team based in San Diego, California can spend like this, but a team in Washington, D.C. isn't spending like this? Now, the Padres do have a lucrative regional television deal, but still, man, San Diego, California is not Washington, D.C. in terms of market size and the money in the market. And yet the Padres are doing this. And so I think that that stands out if you're a Nats fan too. 
Well, yes, but I think what also, and this is where the whole baseball world is going to be watching this closely, is, is this actually sustainable there or not? Yes, you applaud an owner who's going out and going for broke and trying to win that franchise's first World Series title. But are they actually positioned to be able to do this in the long run and sustain it? And I don't know that answer. It may only be possible from an owner who's willing to lose a lot of money. They're the talk of San Diego right now, the talk of baseball. They're drawing really well. Historically, they have not. Is the novelty of it going to wear off at some point? Again, if the team doesn't win big, get to the World Series, win the World Series, is it going to wear off some? And are these players four or five years from now just not going to be as good anymore? I think we know how this generally works. Now, not to say Soto is not worth it, because I do believe he is, but I don't know that it's the wisest move they're making. If they win a title in the next few years, then okay, worth it. If they don't, and now they're saddled with these contracts for a long time, and they're not in a position to be able to make up for it. And here's the irony of it all. The Padres had one of the best farm systems in baseball a few years ago. They don't anymore because either they made it up or they traded them for things like Juan Soto. So I'm fascinated to see. Part of me wants to believe that a market like San Diego can do this, and that's shows the rest of the baseball world, you don't have to be in New York or LA to do this. But another part of me says the reality of it is it's going to be really hard to sustain that. And when I saw them signing all these guys to deals, my thought was actually, well, that kind of ruins their chance of signing Soto because there's only so much money to go around. Would even the Mets or the Yankees spend as much as that? They've already invested, committed over a billion dollars beyond 2024. No other team comes anywhere close to that. I do think it's kind of risky, to be honest. It's a funny deal. The biggest spenders in the National League West, you really could make the case, are no longer the Dodgers. It's now the Padres. The Dodgers have kind of cut back on their spending a little bit in recent years, and the Padres now have become this team that's just spending like crazy. There was one other thing with the Machado scenario that stuck out to me from a Nationals perspective. So what ignited him getting this new contract from the Padres, again, 11 for 350, was the threat of the opt-out. So these opt-outs became a big deal I guess probably the first prominent one was Alex Rodriguez with the Yankees years ago. And since then, we've seen John Carlos Stanton have an opt-out, Steven Strasburg have an opt-out. To me, from a club perspective, these opt-outs can actually be used to your advantage because these opt-outs, I just use the phrase get out of jail free card. These opt-outs are get out of jail free cards for clubs. And for so long, these opt-outs have been viewed as favorable to players because players opt out and then get re-signed like right away by the initial teams to even greater money. To me, I'm anxious to see the first team that says, okay, you want to opt out? See you later, pal. Because I think more often than not, the club will be proven to have made a wise decision if it doesn't reinvest in the player. And sure enough, you go back and you look at A-Rod with the Yankees, shouldn't have been re-signed. Strasburg with the Nats, shouldn't have been re-signed. I don't think the Yankees are thrilled with Stanton. Not that he's a bad player, but he's had a hard time staying healthy. I don't think the Yankees love having him with that contract. So I wonder, I'm anxious to see the first team that says to the guy who opts out, all right, see you later. Now, maybe that guy won't opt out if he knows that the team isn't going to resign him. But I think the framing of these opt-outs needs to change. These are things that actually can be beneficial to clubs, not damaging to clubs. If the players are really good and the teams get everything they can out of them and then they choose to opt out, yeah, as a team, you're under no obligation to bring them back. Say, okay, we just got the best years out of your career. You can go somewhere else and now play out the rest of it in your 30s and make a ridiculous amount of money. 
the problem, the fear is if the player isn't good <laughs> or in the first half of the deal, reaches the opt-out point and says, no, nah, I'm not going to because I can actually make a lot more by staying here. I'm not going to get a better deal. That's the danger of it. But sure, if you're the Nationals in hindsight, and you know we've discussed why I don't think they really had that much of a choice or why I understand the choice they made. They got the best year they could have out of Steven Strasburg. Then he opted out. They could have just said, okay, we'll see you. Thanks for everything. They didn't, and they're paying the price for it now. It takes a lot of chutzpah to do that, but teams that are smart, if you realize you can get the most out of them, you're under no obligation to keep them beyond that. And if you're willing to take the risk that their careers do fall apart in their 30s and you don't want to invest in them like that, it is certainly a path to go. I think back to the Stanton deal. When he signed that deal, what, 13 years with the Marlins, I remember saying to myself, there's no way he's going to be there that long. It's not a 13-year deal. He's going to opt out after six. The Marlins will get rid of him. Sure enough, they did. Now, the Marlins made plenty of other bad decisions. I'm not saying it was good on their part what they did, but he certainly isn't part of the Marlins for the long term. And then on the flip side, we all wondered, why didn't Bryce Harper take an opt out with the Phillies? That's a marriage now, for better or worse, for a long time. Now, it worked great last year. They went to the World Series. Harper is the face of that team. Maybe it will work in the long run. But I keep wondering in the back of my mind, someday, is that going to be viewed as a mistake that they're stuck with him and he's stuck with them in the long run? Manny Machado is entering his age 30 season. The Padres could have said, go ahead and opt out after this season, your age 29 season, and let somebody else pay you in your 30s. I mean, that to me would have been the smart thing to do. Padres did not do that. So it'll be interesting to see. Machado's been very good for the Padres. That contract for now is working, but that's the thing for now. What's going to happen a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. So we shall see. Something to think about, though, with these mega money contracts. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always uh, hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. We'd love to have you on board. Email Tim Shovers, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a great Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. The classic blues are in. They are back. Get yourself one by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thanks again to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast intro and outro. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. There goes the runner. The pitch is hit high in the air to deep center field. Going back is Noel, still going back, and that ball's gone. James Wood lays into one with the wood a three-run jack makes it eight to nothing in favor of the storm that's some easy pop from this young man it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.